Today, we have Ryan from, Money, from Making Money Simple joining us today. So welcome to the show, Ryan. Hello, thank you for having me. Looking forward to chatting to you both today. Of course, you know, we're happy that you're also joining us and thank you for taking the time. And I think we should just get straight into it. You know, you're a huge personal finance advocate and a huge content creator, especially in investing. But we want to kind of take it from the beginning. So we want to know when your journey began and how everything started to unravel for you. Yeah, no, sounds good. So I started investing in July 2018. So it's about three years ago now. Um, and the, re- the way it started, really, I just started reading some books. I was at uni at the time, had quite a lot of free time. Um, I was always I was studying economics. So I sort of was interested in money. Um, and I, I enjoyed asking people money related questions like what they invested into, like about mortgages, that sort of thing. Then it was probably when I was about yeah, 18 or nine. I think 19. I started reading some personal finance books. Um, and then it just sort of grew from there. I then worked for a year, so I had a bit of money. So then when I sort of finished my placement year in the UK, which is like you work for a year in between your second and final year of uni, I had a bit of money at the end of it, invested it. And then that was nearly three years ago. And now here we are today with Making Money Simple, which is sort of like a personal finance page I started um, at the start of 2019. Wow. Wow. I mean, I mean that's that's really good. So when you, you mentioned that you picked up a couple books um to learn about personal finance so what what particular books did you start off with so i think the very first book i read was rich dad poor dad which i feel like is a very like classic everyone says that very cliche but i I remember reading that i think i always watch loads of youtube videos even now i pretty much i don't really watch tv i just live on youtube pretty much so people following like investing accounts and personal finance accounts you'd always see the same sort of books recommended so i started with rich dad poor dad I also read The Intelligent Investor um, and a few of like Peter Lynch's books. So mainly just sort of like on, yeah, I guess Rich Dad Poor Dad's more like a wealth mindset book. And then the other books are more actually, you know, relating to investing. Um, and then it's sort of grown over time. So now I read like a range of books, like property books, crypto books, still investing books. Um, it was very much firmly at the start, just investing in the stock market. Mm-hmm. And, and because there's just so much out there, right? Because it's not just investing with personal finance, it's real yeah. estate, crypto, there's, there's a lot to learn. So from those uh, first three books that you read, or first three or four books, what would you say is your main takeaway from those books? What's, what's a main message you got from that? So there's, a, there's a few things. So one thing I got from Rich Dad Poor Dad was just how passive, like the mindset of how you look at money, and how essentially you need to like put it to work. You want, it's all about really, because investing is just like getting your time back. And if you invest, then you hopefully can obviously live off those investments one day, which is why I see like the ultimate goal of investing is you accumulate so much that you can live off of those investments, whether it's like the rental income from property or the dividends from your stock market or whatever it is. I'll say the main thing I took from them is how important it is to start investing early. Obviously we're all pretty young, so it's good that all we've started. Also compound interest, which I still feel like is very misunderstood, but pretty much any book ever, even books that aren't necessarily related to investing talk about like the impact of compound interest how it applies to everything like money your knowledge your relationships your career um so yeah i'd say like the basic principles because i didn't know them before even though i'd like been to school studied economics i was completely clueless when it came to investing and managing money and stuff so it was really the basics that sort of stuck with me and then over time i sort of then learned how you can't beat the market and all that sort of stuff, which is why now I mainly use index funds. About like 90% of my stock market portfolio is in index funds. Um, but yeah, it was more the core principles from them first few books. And why Rich Dad Poor Dad? It's very cliche, but I still say everyone should read it as their first book just because 
the way like you sort of think about money and look at it will just will completely open your eyes and will question everything that school and your parents have taught you. Dude, this is exactly the path that we took as well. You know, the first book that me and Erna read was Rich Dad Poor Dad. And you just said it, you just basically took the words out of my mouth. They just opened our minds to like how the school system essentially hasn't taught anything in this situation. But, you know, the real path to actually getting generational wealth and having you be able to live your life is to get that passive income, have the money work for you. It's just that mindset. That's, that's why I think, you know, you hit it right on the point where that should be the first book that people read. Yeah, exactly. And that's when as well, then I started sort of mainly through YouTube, started learning about side hustles. And then obviously the whole rich dad, poor dad thing, having passive income streams, multiple income streams, and never rely on one income stream was then when I sort of had this like, so yeah, it's a side hustle idea was essentially, I was very interested in personal finance. I've been reading books in it for nearly a year now. I started investing. So that was when in the start of 2019, I made making money simple. So over two years ago now, and then it's sort of just like grown over time now. So I built a following. It was all just because I had that interest in personal finance and investing and essentially everything I sort of le- know and learn is just from reading books like dozens and dozens of books over the years and then you sort of like form them with your own opinion and then like put them out in your own way I agree you know reading books is just like it gives you that mindset gives you that knowledge to be able to apply in the real world so you know you talked a lot about you did a lot of side hustles and we definitely want to get that later in the show but I kind of wanted to talk to you about you know the education system and kind of the starting point for you in terms of did you really learn anything in high school and college that you think would have prepared you to the point where you are today? Or did you really have to do a lot of it on your own? Yeah, I don't think I learned anything. The only thing you learn is like the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell in biology. You know? I don't think you actually learn anything, really. So in the UK, you obviously go through school and then you can either stay on for an extra two years in what is called sixth form. And then you go to university or whatever. But I stayed on and did economics. And that was the first time I'd ever really, like, I guess, properly studied money. I'd done business and stuff before. But then that was probably when I sort of started actually taking an interest in like reading the news, looking at the stock market, understanding money. But all of that economics theory, even in university, so I was at uni for three years studying economics. And I wouldn't say I actually learned one thing about how to manage money i did, like, didn't know how to like invest how to open up an account what how i saw you see it in the news like stock markets up two percent like okay doesn't really mean much what does that even mean how do i get started investing i think the problem is i don't really know and then obviously that's good why we're doing this and chatting about this sort of stuff but the school system is obviously designed to create employees and people that go into professions and going to university or college is good if you know you want to go into a specific profession like be a lawyer be a doctor but i feel like for most people, you're not really going to learn skills that are going to help you with your money, even if there are. I've heard some people in America, you can take maybe like personal finance classes, but even then, I don't know how useful they are because everyone's got sort of like a slight agenda. Um, but I think, yeah, the school system and being at home as well, parents only have a lot of bad money principles that get passed down. But yeah, I think the school system just doesn't teach us anything. And personally, I didn't take anything from the school system that helped me manage my money at all. Right, right. And I, and I think that's so important, because a lot of people don't know where they're going to go off, especially in ninth, 10th, 11th grade. And, you know, they don't they don't really know what to start, but they have to sort of pick a route. And if they don't know where they're going, they still need to know how to manage their money. Because I, I think that's a lot of like another excuse that a lot of people bring up that, oh, you know, money doesn't pertain to me, I don't have to learn about personal finance. Well, everyone has to learn to manage their finances, because everyone deals with money. So I think, yeah, no, I think just on that, there was this survey done. It was like, what makes people most happy? What makes people most unhappy? 
and what causes people the most stress and every single answer was money so people try to sort of pretend that money doesn't matter or money is fine and like it'll all be okay in the end but it is literally the most important thing whether or not, like the love of money is like when people are greedy with money and like obviously that's not nice but most people aren't like that if they had a lot of money they could share the wealth they could pass it down do good things with money but the problem is people just have like a warped perception of money is bad and you shouldn't have too much then it's just like their own like limiting beliefs from school from home from university or whatever and then they sort of get trapped into this yeah life without obviously conforming to society working for 45 years at a nine to five and just never really being financially free and then there's that that same you know system of fear with money that they just don't want to deal with it and then yeah. it like you said it passes on from generation to generation and then they just never deal with it until they're 60 and then they realize they don't have enough in their retirement account and they are going to have to keep working until they're 70 and that's where we see a lot of problems because you have so much we're privileged with time as young people to just learn even 20, 30 minutes a day, but we just don't, don't really take advantage of it. Like, you know, as, as many people should. Yeah. So um, on, on my TikTok, actually, I get so many like comments being like, I am 17 years old. I've got 2000 pound or whatever. What should I do with it? And the first thing I'm always like, just invest in yourself, read mm -hmm. some books, buy as many books as you can. And the thing is as well as like when you're younger, it's more like the time investment. When you have, as you mentioned, free time, you can watch YouTube videos all day. You can take like online courses for free. But if you have money and you're like a teenager in your early twenties, the best thing you can do is invest in either books or even like taking a course, going to a seminar, doing some sort of like secondment to another country or something where, because it's going to pay like the biggest return over the long term by like increasing your own education, mm -hmm. which is separate to paying to university because as we mentioned most you won't really learn much about managing money from going to school unfortunately which is just how the system is obviously designed to be set up and also what you're saying in the uk people particularly don't there's a bit of like a taboo i'd say even more so than america than talking about money and people just think i'll pay into a pension which is a 401k and then everything will be fine in the end but obviously i think a lot of people when they come to retirement age realize they probably should have taken more ownership of managing their money no, I fully agree with what you're saying in terms of, you know, like just because people think, oh, I, I make like being rich. I don't want to really be rich. You know, that's kind of greedy. That seems kind of bad. That's not really the point of, you know, managing your personal finances. It's kind of making sure that you're prepared for the future and you know that you're going to be set. And it's not that money is like good because you have it. It's good because you get time. That's your great asset. So you get time to do the things that you truly love. And that's what the kind of concept that, you know, people need to understand in terms of, if you take time to educate now, especially when you're young, which is exactly what you're saying, the dividends in the future are going to pay off immensely. Yeah, so, literally, literally, the dividends are going to pay off immensely. Yeah, yeah no, time and freedom are the big things, really. Um, if you can imagine, you can like, op, you can. The ultimate dream, really, is really a position where. So I think like financial independence, retire early. I'm not particularly interested in retiring early because I think if I was retired, I would be bored. But I would rather have a job or a business that I like, or that's my own, that I can then almost sort of choose what work I do, when I do work, all of that sort of stuff. So it's sort of like optional work, but because it's work I enjoy so much, I can do it and I want to do it all day long. But I think the financial independence bit is like more the focus for me where I would love to be able to get to a point where I'm financially independent through my own investment pot and own passive income streams. But I don't need to like work a nine to five and rely on that one paycheck at the end of the month to like keep me ticking over till the next month. Of course, it's actually, you know, the beauty of being financially independent and having that freedom is to do what you want. 
So if you really love to make that business and do those side hustles, you can do that whenever you want and have time to do the fun things. But the thing is, you don't have to spend your time like you don't have to spend nine to five just doing a job that you don't like. It's the fact that you get to customize your life. You get to customize what you want to do. Exactly. I kind of want to shift towards, you know, kind of a little bit more towards your style, lifestyle and how you've went from a point of starting to learn to up until now. So when you started learning and became, you know, more advanced, what were some of the obstacles and challenges you faced in terms of learning about personal finances, actually adapting to the real world? Can you just talk a little bit about that? So the first thing, I made quite a lot of mistakes. A lot of them were quite stupid and quite early on. The first thing is the first ever like investment account I signed up to, I only bought like £200 worth of shares and the fee it cost me was £12.50, which is like, that's like a, like a massive fee. Just like just to buy for some shares. So the first thing I learned quite early on was the importance of fees. And as I mentioned, I sort of then transitioned into, I do still own some individual shares, but most of my money is in index funds. So I sort of then transitioned. The first mistake was paying high fees. I then transitioned into, and also I should say that wasn't in a tax advantage account. So I know you guys have your Roth IRA. We have a stocks and shares ISA. So I made two mistakes there. I had didn't minimize my fees. And I also didn't use the right account to invest inside of. I then ended up moving into a stocks and shares ISA, which is the tax advantage account in the UK. But then I was investing into like a active fund that had like a disgustingly high fee, had loads of cash, loads of bonds. I'm like 19 years old. I'm like, why on earth? I just didn't do any research. I just, I just sort of the top started investing money into that. So that was another thing. Uh, once again, fees, invest into the active fund. I then essentially this the whole time as well, I was sort of like reading, I was learning. I was still at uni at this time. So I was reading books. I've then sort of gone on to more books around like the little book of common sense investing, money master the game, some more like detailed books on what investing actually is and how you know index funds having the mindset, thinking about long term. So that was when I set up my account with Vanguard, my tax advantage account with Vanguard, which I invest into monthly. Um, and I've been doing that ever since. But I'd say other than them initial mistakes. The main, the main obstacle is just really the amount of choice there is. So the choice in terms of choosing the broker to go with, in terms of choosing the fund to go into, because there's millions of different funds you can invest in, or not millions, thousands of different funds you can invest into. So the way that I overcome that, essentially, I keep my investment approach nowadays very boring, automated, and simple. So most of my money is, so I'm yet of the impression, and I believe you can't beat the market over the long term, and if you try to or can, it will take a ridiculous amount of research and time. So I instead prefer to track the market by using index funds and specifically global index funds. So rather than just investing into the UK, which is a mistake a lot of people in the UK do, they have a massive home bias where a lot of their money is in the FTSE 100, which is the largest 100 companies in the UK. But that the market cap of them companies is only 5% of the global stock market. So you're missing out on 95% of the market cap of the global stock market by limiting yourself to that one country. So I mainly stick to global index funds and that's sort of the way I overcame that. And even now I do sort of think there's so many choices like ARK, these active funds are doing well, you got Tesla going to the moon, all this sort of stuff. But I sort of just try and keep it stable, just sort of think long-term, think, you know, this approach is gonna build my wealth slowly over the long-term. Um, yeah, I'd say probably choice, the choice overload effect and then the term like information paralysis where there's just so many options you don't get started um but luckily for me i got started then sort of learn as i go mm -hmm. well i want to talk about a couple things that you mentioned there so first 
Um, I want to talk about index funds. So obviously you talked about how you learned about index funds through the books that you were reading. It's, it's an easy, easier way to invest, right? Especially for young people. So you don't make dumb decisions. <laughs> but um, uh, what I wanted to talk about was uh, in your, in your Instagram, in one of your Instagram posts, you talked about how much of your, a lot of your index funds are global and international versus domestic. So why do you prefer that kind of um, shift in index fund versus just like in you know the uk stock market yeah so it's just i just think global diversification is so key because it's impossible to know which country which industry or sector which company is going to perform best over the long term so even if i only put all of my money in the s&p 500 that only makes up i think the, the us as a whole makes up about 55 percent of the global stock market which is obviously a massive weighting and even in global index funds that's still mainly driven by the US because they have the largest and most innovative companies. But you're still, if you only invested in the total US stock market, you're still missing out on 45% of obviously global companies and obviously are great companies all around the world. I think the thing is, and I was reading a really good article on it recently, is that even though so people seem to think like the US, you know, they've performed well for so many years, like 10% average return. There's been decades um, over, the, over the last 100 years, quite a few decades, where the US hasn't been the best performer where there's been other countries that have performed well. So like around World War II, I think the UK done very well. I know in the decade just gone, between 2000 and 2010, because of the dot-com crash and the financial crash, the US had a pretty poor return compared to other countries like the UK um, and some other European countries. So I just sort of think that if I'm globally diversified, it doesn't matter which country does well or does bad. It doesn't matter which companies fail and succeed and become the best and worst. It doesn't matter whether, you know, like, all these oil companies go under and then all the tech companies start taking over. I'm invested in across the world, in all geographies, all regions. So whatever happens, I'm going to be fine. Now I know if I took a bet on say the U S or on the UK and only allocated or allocated more money or all of my money to one country, of course, there's probably more chance I would outperform a global index fund, but there's also an equal chance that I'll underperform it. And if you look back at history, it's so hard to predict what like economy, what company is going to perform best over time. So I just think taking a global approach is just simple and it means I'll be fine whatever happens. So I hope that sort of answers the question. But yeah, it's just, I just like the simplicity of having one fund. And also I don't need to have like, like a fund track in the UK, one track in the US, one track in emerging markets, one track in the rest of Asia or whatever. I can just have one global index fund invest into it monthly and that's all I need to do. I don't need to be like rebalancing every month or moving money around. It's just sort of my, my big thing as I've learned more and sort of done more reading is just really simplicity. And that's why I choose to use global index funds. Of course. And I think what you're talking about kind of relates to a concept that's in the intelligent investor in that he says in stocks, if you're a defensive investor, which is like basically passive, he basically says, have the mindset of, I don't know. And I don't care in terms yeah. of, do you know which country is actually going to go up this year? I don't know. And I don't care because I own all of them. Do I know which one is going to underperform? I don't know. I don't care because like you said, if you own every single thing, you get the benefits of every single one, because if it's going up, that means it's better for, you know, your overall returns. But if it's going down, you're getting something at a cheaper price. Yeah. So that's the great mindset I think of owning every single stock because before we were actually kind of intent on just, you know, having the S and P 500, we thought that like, Oh, 10%, you know, that's just going to be the wave. But then you also have to realize that like there's going to be times when they go low and there's been many times where it's just been stable. So I think that's a good point. They talk about getting that global index fund. So 
Yeah. One question real quick. Yeah, you want to say something? No, I was going to say, I think that to essentially sum up, you don't know what's going to happen. Like all these investment platforms say past performance is not a good indicator of future returns. And it's a bit annoying because you read that everywhere you go. But it's very true and you don't know what's going to happen. So I have the approach of why is the global index fund? I'm owning the world and I'm going to be fine over the long term. Unless there's like World War Three or a nuclear war and then the stock market ceases to exist. I'll be building my wealth slowly over the long term. <laughs> Of course, it's like you're just betting against the earth. If you don't think the earth is going to do it, go to a different country, go to a different planet and invest there, you know? Yeah, we need like a Jupiter index fund or something. Yeah. Okay, so I guess I had like one really quick question in terms of specifically how you invest. So do you just invest, I guess it's a two-part question, I guess. So for first of all, do you just invest into one global index fund? Yeah. Yeah? Okay, and then yeah. I guess my second question, which kind of leads into a different topic is I know you're a huge proponent of Vanguard. So yeah. I assume you definitely, you know, buy that global index fund from Vanguard. So I just want to kind of talk to you about why you chose Vanguard or why you think Vanguard is the most beneficial and the most, I guess, maybe easy to use or however you put it that you think people should use. Yeah. So to come back to that first question quickly, I actually done a YouTube video that I uploaded the other day called why I use global index funds. And in preparation for that, I actually like done like a deep dive into my, like stock market portfolio. And yeah, so 86% of my money is in index funds. Um, or might have been 88%, sorry. And then of that, 88% or 86%, like high 80% is also in this one global index fund, which is called the FTSE Global All Cap. So if you're in the UK, you can search for it. There's probably a US equivalent if you're in the US. So the first question, yeah, most of my nearly 90% of my like wealth is essentially in this one uh, index fund. And as you mentioned, so I invest through Vanguard's account and I also invest into a Vanguard fund. So that's the great thing about Vanguard. They haven't just got a, a lot of brokers these days like Robinhood. There's some in the UK like Trading212. They have just the platform and then they have stuff on the platform. But Vanguard offer their own platform and their own funds. So they sort of do everything for you. So the reason why I like Vanguard, there's so many reasons. The first thing is ultimately they're very low fee. So in the UK to invest, it's 0.15% per, per year for the platform, which is very cheap. Also, the funds they offer are usually the cheapest, if not some of the cheapest. The second thing is they are very, very transparent with all of their costs, which I really like. There's no hidden fees. If you Google Vanguard full cost and charges, it goes through every fund. You can see the platform, you can literally the total fees, the platform fee, the fund fee, and the transaction fee. And they're very, very transparent with all of the costs they provide. Third thing, because they are such a large company, they just got good customer service. Every time I message them, uh, email them like in the, on their website or phone, phone them up, they're always helpful and get back to me quickly. The fourth thing, in the UK, uh, this might not be true for the US, but in the UK, there's no app, which I think is actually quite, there's actually rumors at the moment that there might be a Vanguard app coming to the UK. But at the moment, there's not an app, which I think is a good thing because when you have an app on your phone, People check their investments too much. They're more likely to get sucked into buying and selling out of like fear and emotion and all that sort of stuff. So I think by not having an app and having to log, get your laptop, log in, go on the website, log in. By the time you've done all of that, hopefully your emotions haven't gotten the better, better of you and you're not going to impulse buy or sell. Another reason, I think the fifth reason, I, I'm just a massive fan of Jack Bogle and Vanguard. There's a little bit of common sense investing. It's probably like the number one book I'd recommend anyone read. And I think, yeah, I think Warren Buffett got quite a good quote where he says, like, Jack Bogle has done more for the average American investor than anyone has ever. Because you think about it, like, 
back 50 years ago, it cost an absolute fortune to invest. It was only available to the elite and the rich in society. Nowadays, you can get like us lot who are young kids. We can download an app or go on a website and just start investing within 10 minutes. It's never been quicker, easier and accessible. And I guess that has been through really Vanguard's innovation when, since they introduced the first index fund in 1975. Um, so, yeah, I trust them, I guess, is that point. So, yeah, they're the five reasons why I'm a big fan of Vanguard. And uh, yeah, I guess the older thing is that low fee and I trust them. So I wanted to go off of that a little bit. So both of us were really, you know, fascinated by Vanguard when we saw all of this, you know, about their brokerage. Um, the only thing that I was uh, a little bit confused about, I guess, was so when you're investing through Vanguard's brokerage, can you only invest in their accounts like VT Sachs or VOO, like those kind of index funds? Yeah. So yeah, that's correct. And that is the downside. That's probably the main downside of Vanguard. You can only invest into Vanguard products. So Vanguard index funds, ETFs, and retirement funds. So that's why when people ask me what platform should I use, I always say you should start with the end in mind. So if you want to dabble in individual stocks, buy some REITs, then Vanguard won't be for you because you can only invest into Vanguard funds. So you always sort of want to think what you want to invest into um, and then work backwards. And if you're only going to be investing into funds, and invest monthly for the long term, then Vanguard probably work out will work out the best and cheapest for you over the long term. Um, another option you can do, which I do say to people as well, is if you're going to have most of you, if you want to, like, I personally believe most people's money should be in index funds, just because I don't believe you can beat the market. So I would say to people, set up a Vanguard account, set up a monthly automatic investment, and have your tax advantage account with Vanguard. So all that money in like a Roth or a Stocks and Shares ISA is going to grow tax free. And then on the side, download like Robinhood, Trading212, one of these like zero commission brokers, and then dabble in there if you want to, but keep most of your money growing tax-free in the Vanguard account. Uh, but yeah, the main downside is they don't offer stocks and shares, which are stocks, which I, once again, think is a good thing because obviously mm -hmm. they all about, they're all about the passive investor, really. It's aimed at the passive, hands-off investor. Um, so I think it's a good thing, but obviously, yeah, for people who want to invest into individual stocks as the backbone of their portfolio, then Vanguard isn't for them. Right. And I, and I think, uh, I mean, that's what the path that, you know, I and Pravar also want to follow. Um, because so, so do you do the same, have like a small side uh, brokerage where you just, you know, like you said, dabble into a few yeah. individual stocks too? Yeah, I do exactly that. So most of my money is in my yeah, account with Vanguard. Then I've got a few of the zero commission UK trading apps, which I have accounts on. Um, and I've got like a sort of a bit of money in there, but the main bulk is in Vanguard. All right. Okay. I got you. So I think that's a really good point where you talked about, you know, when you, you want to keep your index and passive, you know, funds in that tax advantage account. So I had a question in terms of you have the Vanguard in a tax advantage account, but do you use another brokerage account for like, you know, your dabbling one and which one is it? Like, which one would you recommend to people for that one where you can like have more personalized? Uh, like yeah. So I guess these are obviously UK specific apps. So I'm not sure if you guys have them in the US, but the main two I use are Trading212 and Free Trade. And I actually very, very rarely buy individual stocks, to be honest with you. Um, but I just have them there in case I did want to invest in individual stocks. It was more so at the start when I first started, I was still at uni. I would enjoy researching stocks, going on like Yahoo Finance, MSN Money, looking at their financial statements, like trying to do some analysis. But I guess the more I realized how difficult is to beat the market and also how time consuming it is to try and find the needles in the haystack. I've then almost sort of moved. I still have them apps, but I've sort of moved away from them 
um, and now mainly just have my tax advantage account with Vanguard. I agree. I think that makes sense, especially for when you're going to be end up, you know, hitting that 60 age or whatever age it might be in the UK. That's when you take it out and all those returns come out tax free, which is just the best part. So, yeah, the good thing actually is about so the UK tax advantage account is slightly different to the one in the US. I think you guys can only access it at 60, right? And if you access it before, then you get penalized. We well, can actually access it whenever. Um, wow. So it's pretty, yeah. And also the allowance is £20,000 a year rather than £6,000 a year. So oh. it's a bit OP, to be honest with you. Like if you can use a stocks and shares ISA, if you can max it out from like, a, I mean, I didn't max out this year, unfortunately. The new tax year in the UK actually starts on the 6th of April. So pretty soon. Um, but if you can max it out every single year from an early age, because it's so flexible and you can withdraw money and live off the money without any sort of penalties, you haven't got to be a certain age. You know, if people start maxing it out when they're in their early 20s, they can feasibly probably live off of the money with no penalty, tax-free, no withdrawal fee in like their mid-40s, which is obviously pretty OP. But then people, to honest, people don't realise the power and how good they are until later on in life. And then obviously you need to start early, compound interest, all of that stuff. So, yeah. That's, that's, that's kind crazy. of insane. Living so, in the UK is like, that's probably like the biggest that, That's the way you know. Because, wait, so your contribution limit for like Roth uh, accounts are 20,000, you said? Yeah. Oh my God. That's 20,000 pounds, which I guess is probably about $25,000. Oh my God. So yeah, you know, it's 6,000 here. Yeah, like but, but what, you'll be, what you'll be amazed is though, so many people still don't know about them and so it's called a stocks and shares isa and the thing is there's a few different types of isas so i won't get into the details but people are more aware of cash isas where you can earn like one percent of your money but they're not aware of stocks and shares isas where you can literally invest like 20 grand a year into an index fund or even individual stocks wherever you want to as long as it's like in that wrapper like the roth then it will grow tax-free and then should it grow to a million pounds you also, all the dividends are tax-free, all the gains are tax-free, all the bond interest is tax-free. So you, if you can build up that pot, you can literally grow tax-free and then live off the dividends tax-free like a lot sooner before retirement age, which is pretty sick. Yeah, because the thing was, I was just going to ask you, how do you make it cover your expenses? Because a lot of people talk about how index funds, if you put into a Roth IRA, you can't take it out until, at least in the US, you can't take it out until you're 60. So how do you make it so you can become financially independent? But you have a tax advantage account where you can take it out, be able to pay your expenses and get like no tax, don't lose any extra money. So I guess that kind of answered my specific question in terms of how you do it, because I assume you probably like you're going to come to a point where you'll start taking a little bit out to pay for your expenses and cover that. Like, is that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so my plan is just to accumulate as much as possible. Um, I'm also hoping to get into property one day, but obviously I'm still quite young and that's you need a lot more capital for that. But at the moment it's really just accumulate as much as possible, build up that stock market portfolio primarily through index funds as large as possible, hopefully to seven figures one day. And then, you, you know, using like the 4% drawdown rule or even not even that living off the dividends, which, you know, the, the yields of an index fund, a global index fund are probably around two and a half percent. So if I have a million pounds, I can then get 25K in dividends tax-free every year. If I then also withdraw, say, a couple of percent, I can live a pretty decent lifestyle <laughs> um, tax-free and before the retirement age. Um, so that's sort of my plan. Yeah, it's accumulate as much as possible. And then uh, the best thing is, yeah, obviously, same with a Roth. I guess it's a bit annoying you can't access it until later on in life, but it just takes away all the hassle and admin of working out your taxes and all of that stuff. <laughs> 
I, I think I think uh, being able to withdraw your money uh, for a retirement account is both good and bad because it's good in the fact that you like like you said it can cover your expenses, but at the same time you don't want to be not good with your money and because you have to remember that is your retirement money and you don't just want to take that away because you want to have some money left when you retire because for us here there's a 10% tax if you take it off before so obviously people are going to not try to take that out unless it's for like a big payment like you know like a like I think it's like a like a down payment for a house or something like that so I think I think there's like obviously advantage and disadvantages to both situations, but again, it's all being smart with your money. I think it all, it's all about financial education, which is what we're trying to do here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's the point. Yeah, go. So I guess you know one question I have is obviously you like to do index fund investing, and you know that's I think the best option for most people, especially for people who are very attached to their emotions, and especially with the stock market. So I don't know if you ever had to go through this, but how did you ever deal with the fear of missing out on these crazy stocks and hearing that hype? Did you ever, did it ever come to you that like, oh, maybe I kind of want to invest into it because it's going up. How did, how was your, you know, if you had any experience with that? Yeah, FOMO is a massive thing, particularly everything that went on with GameStop this year. And then you look at stocks like Tesla, Neo, and you just sort of think, you know, if I put money in there, my index fund is growing by like 7%. I could have made like 600% by giving my money to Elon. But I think the thing is, and it just comes back to sort of understanding that I guess for every, it's just like almost not gambling, but for every winner, there's also a loser. You could have put your money in another stock and then that probably tanked and then the index fund beat it. I think it just comes back down to sort of the like understanding of how like over the long term, more than 90% of managers and like individuals won't beat the market and particularly we're young that we're going to be investing for like 40 or 50 years to consistently pick them gems that are going to outperform the S&P and how difficult that's going to take along like a full-time job along socializing along like playing sport along going out along chilling with family and friends it's almost an impossible task which is why active fund managers who like devote their whole life to it even fail so I think it just comes back to like just understanding it's sort of yeah if I guess for every one that you could have made a massive profit on you also probably could have chosen another one that we made a massive loss and then just come back to sort of strong and stable and steady index funds over the long term but the thing is though as well if a stock has shot up like Tesla like they're now in the S&P 500 so it's not like you're missing out on them gains you're still getting them gains but just through an index you're only gonna, your index fund probably still would have shot up half a percent that day maybe not 20% like Tesla but it's still affecting you're still affecting the globe, and that's why you have like a global approach and it comes back to owning all the entire world. So when these crazy gains do happen, you're sort of still taking part in them. And I think a huge mistake that a lot of people make is that that you know they they invest in like like you said like a like a high highly you know hyped stock like GameStop, and then they lose a lot of money, and then that fear settles in that the stock market you know isn't for me that, you know, you only lose money in the stock market. And then that just keeps going. That same psychological, you know, path keeps going with just on and on for generations. And then that's why people just don't learn about it because they think, well, I'm not going to make any money in it. It's only for people, you know, like millionaires, like Warren Buffett. So, you know, it, it's all about like being smart and learning about it before you invest. Well, I honestly think that's the biggest risk as well of investing in the sense that most people start with individual stocks. And should they lose a lot of money and then get scared out and never invest again, 
is literally the biggest mistake you could possibly make because you're just going to miss out on decades and decades of compounding. Yeah, I think all those points are great, especially, you know, investing is so important overall for everyone. Just don't get the fear that the stock market is bad. Just make sure that you take the least risk, which is probably the index ones. But if you're more mentally strong, then maybe you can read into financial statements and try to beat the market. But only if, you know, you can keep up with that. If not, most people should invest in index funds, like you said. And so, a good quote to remember, sorry, is if in doubt, zoom out. When you look at like a one-day chart of the S&P or the, like, the global index, it's like obviously like a roller coaster. If you zoom out a year, five years, 10 years max, you just see over the long term, the stock market goes up. So yeah, just calm down, zoom out. <laughs> of course, that's just make sure your emotions aren't in play and then you should be good to go. So, you know, we talked a lot about investing. I think everyone now understands like why into funds and those things are so important, but we kind of want to talk about different things that happen you know, after that point where you realize, you know, education is going to teach me anything. So when you went after that, what are some other things you did besides investing that kind of help you with your career? So, yeah, like, oh, that's a good question, actually. Networking is definitely a good thing. Particularly when you're at uni, there's so many like clubs going on, sports going on. You can get to know so many people. And I think it's one of the things, sort of, the more people you know, the more potential opportunities you can get. So I'm, I, was, I essentially managed to get myself on a graduate scheme I'm currently working as an accountant, doing like just a day job, doing like a nine to five there. And I'm doing my chartered accountancy exams. It was really through like going to careers fairs at uni and then like meeting the people was then what the reason why I applied. And I guess I ultimately got the job. Say networking is a big thing. I'll say another thing is side hustle, which I know we touched on earlier on, but there's so many side hustles you can do. So some of them can you just do to get money, like tutoring, dog walking, babysitting, like buying and selling stuff on eBay or Facebook marketplace. But the approach that I took with it, mine was like, it's a bit cheesy, but like passion project. So similar to what you guys are doing with this podcast, you like take an interest of yours, something you're passionate about. You make content on it, like podcasts, YouTube videos, TikToks, Instagram content. But like, it doesn't feel like work because it's fun because it's, and it can be anything like cooking, sport, like commentating, FIFA, money, obviously that's what we're doing, personal finance, really anything you're interested in, people will also be interested in it. In it. And I guess the ultimate goal is, which, which I've done actually this year, after two years of making free content, uh, 2021 when I first started to monetize it, done on my first ever brand post, um, that sort of thing. Um, obviously monetize, monetization isn't the goal of a side hustle, or like a passion project, but if you can take your passion, or your interest and then one day monetize it and then turn it into your full-time job that is like probably the dream really if you're like if you're football fifa whatever it is like you can turn it into sort of like a and that, that's the power of the internet these days and like if you have a side hustle you can then make youtube videos do a podcast do some brand partnerships sell your own product um do affiliate marketing there's so many sort of things that can feed into it whereas if you have a nine-to-five job you're just getting paid for your nine-to-five job you're getting paid for your time once a month and, and that's pretty much it so i'd say yeah other than just like personal finance and investing i'd say side hustles i'd say networking they're probably the first two that come to mind mm-hmm. and your you know your passion project making money simple um that's honestly a great a great page i mean that's what i looked look to and uh, i know that zoom out post that that you had that was that was really good we reposted that but you're clearly very big on Instagram. You got uh, close to 28,000 followers. How did you get to that point? Um, and, and how did you build that following? 
the main two things is just consistency and engagement. So first of all, consistency. I mean, my original, my very first posts are still up. So if you wanted to, you could scroll down and see how bad they are. But I've kept them up just so like people can look at them. But it's all about consistency, particularly the first year. I was, it was a bit more on and off because my final year of uni, I started my grad scheme. But particularly the last two years now, I've been very consistent, probably posting on average daily. Um, maybe not daily sometimes, but like pretty much every single day I'm posting to my feed, to my story. Just all about that consistency. And I think particularly with social media like Instagram, TikTok, it's like quite static content in the sense that people see it for like a day or two and then just gets buried in the algorithm. So you need to be posting very consistently to build up that following. And the second thing is engagement, which is essentially, even now, pretty much every single comment and theme I get, I will reply to it. Even though it will sometimes take me hours in the day to get back to people, I'll like record voice notes to try and help them out, point them in the best direction. I'll also leave as many sort of like insightful comments on other people's posts as possible. Also, like you sort of like got like, we've got like a little community of like finance people and then like UK finance people, just like trying to share their posts, help each other out, and then like people help you out. So I'd say, yeah, consistency and engagement are the two big things. And then if you can sort of like chuck in a bit of like your own like personality, your own banter, but your own like sort of like funny and quirky side, then that'll, I guess. The message is obviously good, like start investing, you know, keep your fees low. You can sort of chuck in a few like your own personal anecdotes, a bit of banter in there. Then people like, I guess, like get drawn to you more and trust you. And that's sort of where you can build up the long term relationship with people through social media. You know, you talked about how you want to build that community. And I think that's super important because the thing is, you want to make sure you're interacting with real people. And a lot of people out there are very real and they're very open. So if you get to build that community and learn that you have common interests, I think that helps you with promoting your brand and actually building that following base. And I think that's obviously helped you out in your career. So I guess I just had two questions. So one, how long have you been doing this for? Because, you know, you've already grown to 20K, which is like crazy. And two, you know, posting daily and keeping that page like up and running all the time, it takes a lot of time. So how much time do you spend per day and how are you able to fit that into your schedule? So the first question, I started making money simple at the start of 2019. So it's over two years now. Um, and then, so yeah, this is my third year, I guess I posted it. I originally started as a blog, just like a website. I then moved over to Instagram. It was, the, it's then, Instagram was my main source. And it was really probably at the start of 2020, where I then got on TikTok and grew that account. And now at the start of 2021, the main focus is YouTube and trying to make weekly videos and sort of grow that. But the second, so that's the first question. The second question, yeah, it does take quite a while to honestly view. Um, I guess lockdown has helped. So in the UK, we have pretty much been in lockdown for the last year. Um, there was like sometimes last summer where it got a bit relaxed, but since like November, there's been pretty much a national lockdown and we're slowly coming out of it now. But I think, you know, that, that has been bad. Um, it sort of helped me. It's like freed up time. I'm not commuting to work. I can't go to football because I can't go out to restaurants and to the pub. So I'm just essentially at home all day. So that has given me more free time to make content. Well, I would say it probably does take a good few hours a day. Um, you know, like I'd try and make the content the day before and make like a few posts at a time. I then like upload it, spend time replying to comments. I then also will then like try and get back to people over DM, either first thing in the morning or before bed. I often 
voice notes at like 1am just like whispering everyone's asleep trying to help out the person with their question um and then yeah the weekends to be fair are normally committed to just like essentially editing youtube videos and then at the moment i'm writing a new ebook so i'm also trying to like work on my own sort of like product range at the same time because even though i've been doing it now for over two years i still don't actually have any products that i sell so i think i sort of want to try and like get the brand out there more and start selling my own products rather than just using like i guess like affiliate links and stuff um so it will be interesting to see when my lockdown and when the summer's here i if i'll be able to keep up i would hope now the habit has been built in the sense that i'm on it like just throughout the day and it never really feels like a chore i do enjoy it so it's not like oh i've got to go on instagram and reply to people and make a post like i enjoy doing it but yeah the downside is it does take i'd say at least two hours a day um and that's if it's like quite a slow day, probably more. Most of my screen time on my iPhone is just on Instagram, to be honest. <laughs> so um, your Instagram page is almost like a, like a micro blog, I guess, because yeah. you, you sort of have to have your own personality. I think you, you mentioned that because you have to, you know, set yourself apart from someone else because there are like a lot of personal finance gurus out there who talk about the same kind of concepts and you have to have your own sort of flair on your own um account so i think i think that's that's a really important thing that you mentioned but um another question that i had for you was you talked about youtube um but how have you like overall these these two years that you've been working on making money simple how have you leveraged your social media following to pursue different side hustles or monetization to be honest with you not very much and i need that's one thing has been the focus this year in terms of monetization I pretty much didn't make a penny for my first two years. I maybe made like a few hundred pound in free shares and like 20 pound in like Amazon affiliate links, but it really wasn't very much. Whereas so far this year, I've actually done three sponsorships now with three different companies. One of them was a bank, one of them was an investment platform, and one of them was like a like a sort of property company. Um, so that's one way I guess I'm going to leverage it. Going forward, as I mentioned, trying to sort of create my own products, like an investing spreadsheet, an investing ebook, which I can hopefully then sell, will be like one way to sort of, I guess, monetize and develop um, the platform. In terms of my career, not many people, because we've been in lockdown so much. And so this time last year, I only already had around 3,000 followers, I think, maybe 4,000. It's really blown up since lockdown um, first started because people are on their phones more, people have more free time, they're looking into investing. So not that many people actually know about it at work and i've only been into the office in london once in the last 12 months so other than like zoom calls and team calls it doesn't really come up so i haven't had the chance to leverage it at work yet in my career i'd be interested to see when things go back to normal if i'll be able to um but yeah i guess this year i've slightly leveraged it to monetize but then going forward i want to like develop my own product range and then hopefully be able to monetize that following i've built more um and then hopefully later on this year get monetized on YouTube and then that can then sort of get, I guess I'm trying to make myself realize that I actually can do this full time over the long term. It's just, I need to put in the work to build up to that point where I can then make it a reality and not be working my nine to five in accounting for the next 45 years. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, make, if you can make this your passion, like if you can have your passion become your overall job, which I think you're well on your way of doing that. I think that's like the ultimate goal. So I kind of have a question for you in terms of, kind of to help us a little bit because we're starting out with our account page and like we're trying to do all these different things you know trying to like have community engagement try to comment under people seeing like what can you know and especially using hashtags trying to 
you know, try to grow our, like our brand as well. So we're kind of asking, what was the point that you felt that your, your, I guess, profile started actually taking off that you saw, like there was significant growth after that one point, or maybe that, maybe that one tweak that happened, or was it more of a gradual linear process? Yeah, it was, it's probably more linear to honestly, because so I've got, but yeah, as you mentioned, 28,000 followers on Instagram. Well, that is over two years now. So in terms of like the Instagram community, some people actually consider that quite slow growth, but some people just blow up and get like 50K followers in like a few months of like a few posts go viral. Um, but I'd say it's more just been like the consistency and like thinking long-term and it's never really been work. I've always enjoyed it. Um, I think that probably the main points were probably like around summer last year when I was posting twice a day on Instagram, trying to get to 10K. And then when you're posting, yeah, when you have them big accounts that post like four or five times a day, you really can see like how they get so much engagement and how much, because the, I guess the algorithm favors you. It's always changing, but if you, I post once a day and that's a lot of work because it's like an original piece of content. If you're posting two, three times a day, if you've got the time to commit to that for a few months, that will definitely help you like grow and blow up. The second thing that I did, which also this that whole thing about you have to provide like essentially more value than anyone else and then do it for free at the start. So I wrote an ebook, my first ebook last summer, which was completely free. So it took me months to write. I released it for free last August. And I haven't actually checked it now in a while. I've got it on MailChimp. But at the start, I think it's a couple of months ago, it had over 2000 downloads. Um, so it's like sort of, if you provide that free value, I'm essentially like banking on goodwill. I provided so much free value, you know, then people sort of trust me. They trust that I'm gonna, you know, be doing things out of interest because I'm not trying to help them out. And if I do sell a product or I do do a brand partnership, I'm not selling out. It's just because, you know, I'm trying to sort of monetize. But I'd say, yeah, probably providing free value. Even now, if someone sends me a voice note, oh yeah, I want to start investing. What do I do? I'll be like, you need to choose a platform. These are the platforms I use. I invest this much in this one, this much in that one. You need them like an stocks and shares ISA, blah, blah, blah. I use a global index fund. Blah. So I sort of, even now, try to provide as much value to people, um, like more than anyone else will do. And then that will then hopefully get them to, I guess, trust me, believe in me, and then follow the page and sort of build that long-term relationship. So yeah, providing value and probably being very consistent and going hard on it are probably the best tips I would have. Yeah. And you mentioned that you had your own ebook. And when I saw it on your Instagram page, I was, I was super intrigued by it that, you know, this guy's giving a free, really long ebook that obviously you spent a lot of time on. So what, what's your main message that you want to deliver through that ebook? What was, what was the, the main message you want to hit home? The message is just for people to start investing, to be honest with you. And the new ebook I'm writing, I haven't actually told anyone this, I don't think yet. But it's, the title is going to be called Stop Waiting, Start Investing. Because with investing, there's so much choice and people just are overthinking it so much. And the more you don't get started, the more essentially gains and compound interest you're going to miss out on. And I'm the perfect example. When I got started, I knew not. I invest in individual shares of a high fee. I invest into active funds. I've learned along the way. So, and now I've got my approach locked down, which I think is probably, as you mentioned, index funds is the best way to approach the average person is very passive and hands-off. So the main message is essentially don't make the same mistakes I did and here's how you cannot make them and just stop waiting and start getting in. So start investing. It's not like a mortgage, right? Where you're in a mortgage, it's like a fixed building. You've got a 25-year mortgage. You've got to pay it every single month or you're going to get kicked out. There's loads of different investment platforms. 
it's not like a death sentence. You can change platforms, you can change funds, you can change type of accounts. So the best thing is to get started. And if you decide, okay, Vanguard, I don't like Vanguard, I'm not investing in individual shares. Okay, fine, liquidate your positions, move over to Robinhood. It's a bit of an admin, but it's not the end of the world. The most important thing is just to get started. And it take, it's so quick these days. Like it literally takes 10 minutes. The, the research obviously takes longer, which hopefully this, the, the book and like my posts help sort of break that down a bit. But the actual process of downloading an app, going on a website, opening an account, selecting, making an automatic payment, setting that up, takes literally 10 minutes. And that's all you need to do. And I think if people realize how easy it is to get started, um, they would get started sooner. And another thing, obviously, what we're trying to do here, there's a lot of jargon around personal finance and investing. I'm sure many people listen, but not what an index fund is. And it's one of the things where it's also trying to break down it to the absolute basics, but then still deliver like a the free strategy of picking a platform, choosing a tax advantage account, choosing an index fund, and then benefit them and grow their wealth over the long term. I think you know your ebook plan and especially your message of just you know you got to invest like once you understand and get the knowledge so that way the jargon is out of the way you know what you need to do it in just don't have that fear and invest and i love your book idea i think that's really great and you know i kind of had a couple questions in terms of this ebook because if i'm thinking about it as like a normal book because i'm not really too familiar with ebooks so thinking about it as a normal book that probably takes a lot of time so is it an ebook is like you're just writing your book digitally and you're putting it out there right like that yeah, takes so probably a lot of time you know so, so this one is slightly different because I've learned from the first <coughs> one, but I'm writing it in Word at the moment, just on my laptop. And then what I'll do is I'll then design it in Canva. So I use Canva like an online tool, like, like a website. It's completely free. I've actually now got the pro version because I've essentially been using it every day for like two years. I was like, I could probably invest in the pro version at this point, but um, it's completely free and you don't need the pro version really. You just get like, it's helpful for me because I can make images transparent from my YouTube thumbnails, but that's a separate topic. But yeah, Canva is the way that I do it. Um, so I write it on Word and I'll design it on Canva. Because then oh, the good thing is on, with Canva is you can like put in graphs, you can you know, like put in like uh, pictures and files and sort of put in and, like little pictures and stuff. So it makes it, I guess, more aesthetically pleasing to look at. Um, but no, you, as you mentioned, it is, it is a lot of work. Um, I've been doing it now for a couple of months and it'll probably, I'm hoping it will come out maybe like May 2020, um, but it's a lot of work because obviously you've got to actually write it and get your thoughts down. And then I'm trying to get like data and stuff to back up like lump sum investing versus dollar cost averaging. I dollar cost average, but lump sum investing actually performs better two thirds of the time. Here's loads of data to prove why. And then so it's sort of, the, the word is sort of comes naturally and it's more like the data and fact checking it that can then take quite a while. And I'll also get people to proofread it I probably made some spelling mistakes with some dodgy grammar mistakes and then that'll come back. So it's sort of like a process, but then hopefully in the end when it's out, it's almost sort of like, it, I'm hoping it will be everything I've learned about investing in the last three years in one book that people can then read in a weekend and then just get started with investing. That's actually quite a good slow. I should maybe uh, <laughs> use that when I'm promoting it. But yeah, it's a lot of work, but I'm hoping that once it's out, it'll be the finished product and, it won't really need updating because the principles are just universal and they've always been about and always will be about. Of course. And, you know, I had one quick question before, you know, we like maybe shift towards a different topic. Do you have a team working with you or is it just you who's doing all of this, especially making money simple, the YouTube videos, all of this? I'm just curious because you're doing so much and especially for free for most of it. 
yeah, it's just me. Um, it's sort of very like Gary V style of just doing as much as you can, being on like TikTok, uh, Instagram, Twitter. I'm sort of like trying to get myself on all social medias and pump out consistent content, which is why I think when lockdown ends, it'll be difficult to keep it consistent. But yeah, the last sort of year, I've been taking that Gary V style of, Unfortunately, I'm not like him. I haven't got like a team of like 50 people pumping out content for me. So I've got to do it myself. But I mean, that would be the dream one day if making money simple can make so much money that I can then employ people and then make more content, higher quality content, be across even more platforms trying to spread this message. Um, that'd certainly be like sort of like a medium term goal of the brand, making money simple. But in the meantime, it's just me, me and my laptop, essentially, the, the duo just pumping out a load of content every week. <laughs> So um, just another brief question. So you also have a podcast, right? Yeah, I do have a podcast, yeah. <laughs> so how do, how do you like uh, balance everything? Like you got your YouTube, you got podcasting, <laughs> you got all your socials. That's a lot. But I mean, I, I, it's, it's good that you're getting so much out there. And, and yeah. you got your nine to five. I mean, you must be insanely productive, I guess. <laughs> it is. It's honestly, it is a lot when you put it like that. It's just about, so, so I guess, first of all, I try to like, so I think some socials are very easy to put content out on. So I find Twitter and TikTok very easy to uh, make content. TikTok is you can literally make like three videos in 10 minutes. And I try and post like two and three videos a night of responding to people's questions. Like essentially click on a comment, respond, talk to the camera. Twitter is also quite easy to tweet throughout the day. The longer pieces of content and the more time intensive ones are the podcast and the YouTube channel so with them i'll try and sort of have like a day where i will make a lot of content for example this sunday i'll probably try and make four youtube videos just like in the during the day so it'll be quite intense and obviously it's like a day off the weekend and all that but then that'll then be my content made for the month and then i try and do a similar thing for the podcast where i'll record two or three in one day and then that sort of then i'll sort of edit them as i go but then have them banked so I just need to spend like one evening editing them before I can upload them. Um, Instagram is sort of in the middle where it's, you can make it fairly quickly. If you're making like a fairly detailed post or a piece of original content, it can take a while. The good thing with Instagram is you can also post tweets. So I post quite a few tweets. I post quite a few memes. So that content that normally resonates well is also quicker to make than um spend like an hour designing an original graphic on Canva. So sort of finding that middle ground. The more time intensive thing of Instagram is then replying to comments, replying to DMs. Um, I think it's one of the things where you sort of just got to find time. And I, to be honest with you, I don't know if we'd have such a following if we didn't have a lockdown, because obviously, as you mentioned, working, commuting, you know, playing football, going to football matches, going to the gym, all of them sorts of things. I don't know how it actually would have panned out. So it's one of the things where I guess COVID is very bad and lockdown was very hard, but then turn it into a blessing almost and focused on making money simple to pump out so much content. Well, I would say the main thing is to have like a bank of content. Even now on my notes on my phone, I've got hundreds of um, like potential Instagram content ideas. I've got about 30 tweets sitting in drafts. So if I sort of realized, okay, I haven't tweeted today, I would go into my drafts, post a tweet, and at least I've got an extra bit of content out on that day. Um, so yeah, it's hard. But it's just essentially finding the time where you can do it. And I, I didn't get to this point overnight. So as I mentioned, I only had the blog and Instagram at the start and I focused on them. Once the Instagram then built up to about 10K, I then got on TikTok and then started building that one up. 
Now TikTok's also in the 20,000s, so is Instagram. And now I'm also now sort of on the YouTube channel, which now that's sort of the very small platform trying to build up. So I didn't like start attacking them all at once from the start. And I think if I did, I probably would have got burnt out and it would become like a chore. But now I'm sort of slowly been building up the amount of platforms I'm on. And also, and this is probably a good tip for you boys, you can sort of, I can't remember what the term is, you can like cross pollute your content. So if you tweet, something you can screenshot it and put it on instagram you can then go and then so a tweet i tweeted the other day was about compound interest how it takes 10 percent return and you invest 10k a year it takes like seven years to get to 100k then takes four years for the next 100k and then three years and that's the whole compound effect snowball effect i tweeted that i put it on instagram i haven't yet but i can make a tiktok talking about compound interest on that exact same thing plugging the different the different uh, sort of numbers so that's one tweet has then made three pieces of content on three different platforms and that's now over time i guess youtube and podcast is separate that's like takes a lot of production but on the more sort of like snappy social medias even like snapchat linkedin you can like pinterest you can get them pieces of content out relatively quickly and also with the same message so yeah, cross polluting not sure what the word is but reusing content across platforms because the thing is people consume content in different ways people might be on twitter but not on instagram people might be on youtube but not listen to podcasts so if you're putting them out on a lot of platforms you have i guess more chance of building your overall following while still delivering the same message you believe in of course you know i think you just dropped down a lot of knowledge for us and especially for the audience out there in terms of if you want to create your own brand there's going to be some tactics that you got to do and especially one that i like liked a lot like two of them you know you just talk about cross polluting that's really resourceful and it can save a lot of time two is kind of start with one you know platform then shift to the other one slowly so that way it's not too overwhelming when you begin with it so I in terms agree, yeah. i'll say what one or two platforms at the start and once you've got them locked down built up a following then sort of move on to the next ones it's impossible to do all these platforms at once but now it's sort of the snowball effect of even if i don't post on instagram in a day i will still get some followers whereas if i've done that at the start I wouldn't have because I haven't got any content. I haven't got any followers already. Exactly. And especially, you know, when you make that content, you also want to make sure that's also value-based, not like, you know, quick, you have to go to my website if you want to be able to get this, all that kind of stuff. So I just have one quick question on, you know, your social media and all the stuff that you've done in terms of what was the, what do you think the biggest challenge was for you besides for time in terms of something that if you learned before, the process would have been a lot more smoother for you. I'd say one thing I definitely struggled with was like putting my face out there. And I'm always worried what people would think. Cause like, you know, you're like, when I started, you're like 21. Why like, you haven't got really any wealth. Why are you talking about wealth and investing? So that was definitely a challenge. And that's why it took me pretty much a year. Oh, actually TikTok only recently came, but I didn't got, I didn't put my face out there for a year. And that was even on TikTok. And I didn't start my YouTube channel for two years. Many of that fear of what people would like think of, me talking about money so that's probably now obviously friends and family and like my housemates know so it's a bit out there so now it's like good but that probably fear of what people would think of me talking about money was the biggest thing to overcome what was your question again i think i might have misanswered it uh i think you answered that really well because i just kind of said like what was like overall challenge for you in terms of social media but you know i also said like what is something that you knew earlier that would have made the process a lot more smoother and i think you know that was it the thing that I'm trying to think, the thing that meant, I think the thing is, the thing that would have made it easier would have almost probably to 
I can't think of anyone actually. I don't know. I guess probably talk to people about stuff and probably try and think. Now I've sort of built up quite a few good relationships with people and particularly in like the UK finance like niche. There's a lot of us, we all make similar content. We all help each other out. We've got like a little group. We sort of like, we help each other out because we're all in the same uh, niche. And the thing is, the niche is still so small and so like young. We think Instagram's only been about for like what, 10 years or something. And then even then, we've got 20,000 followers. Say for me, for example, there's 70 million people in the UK. There's 300 million people in the US. Like the following is tiny compared to the potential market. So I think I wish at the start, I had almost like tried to build them relationships straight away rather than waiting to like got a bit bigger and then got a bit more confident, start reaching out to people. And then it's yeah, more the last sort of six months really after like a year and a half of sort of doing it solo where I've now got some really good mates. We've got like a group chat. We will help each other out. Whenever like a new feature comes out, we want to like see how it can impact our page and help each other out. But really, yeah, I'd say the thing early on is, you know, if you've just started and you've got a few hundred followers, just say you're in like New Jersey, find other people who are like in your country, in the same niche as you, who have got the same following, the same message as you and reach out to them. You know, start like resharing each other's posts onto your stories. Maybe do like a collab that you can like cross, like you design it in your style, they design it in their style. Because the pie is big enough for all of us. And I think people almost compete against each other and like sort of compare, but it should be the opposite. You wanna like, if someone, if one of my peers is growing, then I'm actually probably growing as well because they're gonna know my account is similar to their account with a similar message and then we're all gonna grow together. Um, so that, that's probably one thing, yeah, early on that I didn't do that I should have. But yeah, the biggest obstacle for me was, yeah, sort of getting over, I was just essentially being a bit of a pussy Sorry for cussing, but essentially I couldn't, I wasn't, I couldn't like big myself up enough to like put my face out there. But then once I started making the TikToks, the bit, and now I'm on YouTube, I mean, the whole world can see it. So there's no point in trying to hide it anymore. <laughs> right, right. So as we, as we begin to wrap up the interview, um, what was, what's one main thing uh, you would tell teenagers listening that aspire to build wealth and retire early? One thing find your passion or find something you're interested in because whatever day job you're doing, even if it's, I don't know, like a cool lawyer or something, you're still like a day job and you're still going to be relying on that source of income and you're still going to have a boss. If you can find your passion or your motivation and then turn that into your own business or side hustle and then live off of that, that is going to make you so much happier in the long term rather than, waking up at like half seven, getting on a train to work. Even if you love the job, that whole sort of concept of nine to five commuting, living for the weekends is dead. And like we're in an age now where the internet is so easy to like start up a brand, start with social media, build a following, put your own stamp on it, twist things into your own style or your own banter and your own words. Um, so I'd say sort of you almost want to find that sort of thing that you're interested in and then just start building up a following around that. And that is what's then going to pay like massive dividends, literally in the long term. Um, when it comes to investing, just get started. The second you turn 18, open up a Roth IRA or stocks and shares ISA or superannuation if you're in Australia, or I think it's a TFA, whatever, if you're in Canada, whatever it is, open up your tax advantage account. Even if it's only 50, 100 pounds or dollars a month, just start investing because that money you invest when the day you turn 18 is still going to be compounding when you're 65 and retiring. And the amount of interest compound interest that initial investment would have made would have been a ridiculous amount more so yeah 
find, I guess, your sort of passion and motivation and also um, which is, yeah, my sort of main message with making money simple is stop waiting, start investing. For sure. You know, investing and just doing the things that you love should be everyone's goal. And I think once you're able to, you know, sort of like have a nine to five job, but then sort of slowly deviate from that and make that into a bigger and more stable source yeah. of income. Actually, well, one thing I will say is, so I know I've sort of been talking uh, talking against nine to five jobs, even though I myself have got one, but there is nothing wrong with a nine to five job. Uh, it's actually a good thing to have because, you know, you could, you're getting experience, you're meeting new people, you're networking, you're earning money, so you can invest each month. So there's nothing wrong with getting a nine to five job. And the large majority, even like the richest people in the world, once upon a time had nine to five jobs, had part-time jobs. Everyone goes down that route. It's more what you're doing in the evenings and the weekends to like sort of build your own empire and future and not just relying on that nine to five job for the rest of your life. So if you are, that's what I'm sort of saying, if you're like a teenager, still sort of, you know, take the route because of like, you know, like trying to do well at school, trying to get a job, start earning some money. But it's really when you find what you're interested in and then sort of start making content or a brand around that, that is when hopefully that sort of process can then free you from that nine to five job um, sort of over the long term. For sure. I 100% agree that, you know, having a nine to five job helps you build experience. And there's always a starting point for everyone. You got to start somewhere if you in order to be able to create that business that you want or to actually pursue that passion. So, you know, before we wrap it up, I just want to ask you one more question. What are your plans moving forward? Are you going to try to continue? Or you're definitely going to try to continue making money simple, uh, making money simple, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's what you want to do. But what else do you want to do? So the plan is this year to hopefully get monetized on YouTube. So I've got about 800 followers, 800 subscribers, followers still on Instagram mode, but about 800 subscribers. And I'm hoping to, I've sort of been posting weekly. So that's the main focus this year, YouTube. Also, as I mentioned, I'm trying to release my own products, hopefully the ebook um, and also like some sort of like Excel spreadsheet where people can track their investments. Aside from that, I'd say probably the medium term goal is to, I guess, yeah, turn making money simple into a brand where people can resonate with it. People are fans of it. And to the point where it can then almost free me of my nine to five job, as I just mentioned, and I can live sort of focus on making money simple full time. That'd be the ultimate sort of medium term dream. Maybe like later on in my twenties, focus on making money simple full time and not have to work nine to five in accounting. Um, But yeah, in the meantime, baby steps at the moment, focusing on building the brand, growing the audience, and monetizing yeah that's that's awesome uh and you know thank you so much for joining the show we really appreciate it um this was really fun we learned a lot yeah thank you for having me on boys it's good to chat to you too um yeah great podcast thank you for having me on <laughs> of course you know it's always great to have someone from a different perspective especially from the uk so thank you for joining us oh, and- yeah one thing also, obviously yeah apologies for anyone listening who is from the u.s i know i've been talking a lot about uk <laughs> specific things but if you have got any uk specific questions feel free to dm me on instagram as i mentioned i'll try and either help you out or point you in the right direction of someone who knows more than me um but yeah hopefully the us people sort of like the underlying message anyway of course we'll put your information in the description and if you want to dm it's at making money simple so thank you everyone for joining us and we'll see you guys next time